Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. It's Charlene Anderson, your wholesale sourcing expert, with episode 27 of our podcast. I can't believe it's been that many, 27, wow. Um, Today we're going to talk about a lot of little things that relate to wholesale and a few big things, and we have some giveaways today too. Um, So hang tight for those because I've got like, I think six different things to give away today. Um, and I think, I think you'll like them because they're pretty special. They came in the mail while I was gone. Perfect timing for the podcast, so yay. A um, couple things, uh, housekeeping stuff. I love you guys who have kept up with the step thing with the Fitbit because it keeps me motivated. I don't know, I don't know if you can, you can only see steps for the people you're in challenges with, but I averaged 30-some flights of stairs while I was at my mom's house. Um, so, yeah, that was and like 16,000 steps a day. I don't know how you guys um, do that many every single day, like Nicole and Matt and Elizabeth and, and all of that. You guys just, um, you rock. So hopefully when the weather gets better here, um, I'll be able to get out and even get some more steps in with the dog. Um, it's been snowing every night here, and then it's warmed up enough every morning or every afternoon to melt it off. But we had like three inches more this morning, um, and then same thing yesterday morning, but it was gone by the evening. So, so there we. Oh, and Ed, yeah, and Ed too, because he's on him all that. Um, I, Ed, I'm so glad to hear that you're keeping up with the dungeon. Um, I bet you're working more efficient because of it, and. Um, and that you are um, probably keeping your wife happy because it's she doesn't like have this cringy feeling. So, um, and um, Shelly is our next victim for the um, cleanup motivating thing, um, and she's working on. She got all her boxes broken down and from all over the house and stacked up in one place, which frees up a huge amount of space because boxes just they multiply at night. And only the sizes you don't need multiply. The sizes you use all the time and need, they never seem to breed overnight, you know. Um, and I, I do really try to reuse boxes um, if they're in good condition when they come to me. Um, I have to say that the box I shipped from California for my mom is beat to heck. And that's because it's one of those, um, it's a Home Depot medium-sized moving box. And it's really not meant for shipping, and you can see why, because it is really beat up as opposed to some of the actual heavier shipping boxes that I get. Those I try to reuse at at all possible. So um, I have to tell Deborah, I am now down to the last box from those two pallets of boxes I bought almost two years ago. Um, Because I do try to reuse everything. And sometimes it doesn't work, and I have one left. So now I've got to decide what to do. 
um, our source for boxes besides buying them um, is the ice cream shop in town. There's a place called Moose Gourmet Ice Cream. And um, they're located next to the bank where Ron works. And in the summertime, they're awesome source of boxes because they get the waffle cones in these boxes that are layered with foam between them. So not only do you get nice, clean boxes, you get the foams that you can cut up and, and shove in places and all that kind of stuff. Well, it's been winter, so they don't not a lot of tourists and not a lot of tourists that buy ice cream in the winter. So they've had not so many boxes. So hopefully when, when the weather warms up and the tourists um, um, get here, we will be able to get some more of the ice cream cone boxes. But in the meantime, I think I'm just going to have to order a bundle or two from wherever I can find them cheapest. Um, Richard, I would love to go to a Walmart and get three boxes, but we don't have a Walmart. It's 300, no, it's 120 miles to the Walmart. And um, yeah, not quite worth that. So I'm going to order. So anyway, um, yeah, Deborah, no more pallets of boxes. Uh, that, that was a just a mind slip where I did not realize how much $300 worth of boxes would t- space it would take up. It was two pallets. So, um, and my favorite box size is um, 16 by 16 by 16 um, because that one, the dimensional weight is 25 pounds. And that seems to be pretty much what my stuff fits, weighs when it fits in a box. It averages 50 to 80 items or units and about 25 pounds in that size box. So, um, so I'm hoping I can find a source that can, I can buy like a bundle of 25 or something. Um, I got the, this, um, there was a question where I got them from. This was a Uline order when they had free shipping and they had a huge discount on these, what they call cube boxes. Um, right now, I don't, don't know where I'm going to get them. For small um, numbers of weird boxes for if I have to package product, I found good prices at staples.com and I, have, I get free shipping with them because of my business account. Um, so I'll have to see what the prices are on their larger boxes. I mean, I don't have a Lowe's or a Home Depot where I can I can go buy them or anything like that. There's a U-Haul place here, but they want like $5 a box. Um, so that's kind of crazy. So anyway, uh, box issues. Next thing we're, I want to talk about is kind of the big thing um, about what today's topic, and it is about products and dealing with the wholesale aspects of products and the pluses and minuses of wholesale and all that kind of stuff. Because a lot of us have been to trade shows and um, we get these price lists, we get catalogs, or we're doing it online like the group did the, the I don't know what you guys called yourself, the anti-trade show, the no-show trade show sourcing, where you guys were researching while we were at ASD. Um, I thought that was darn awesome. So, so here's a couple things that I'm just going to free associate with what I have learned about wholesale and what you guys, as you get deeper in it, can expect to happen and not happen and what you have to do to kind of move past these things. So um, the first thing that um, a lot of people have trouble with is the margins can be, can be, and also I say can be, I, don't, I can't say aren't always, they can be smaller 
than the margins on retail arbitrage or online arbitrage, and they are obviously smaller than the thrifting um, model. But we've all kind of learned that as much fun as thrifting is, it is very difficult to scale a business doing only thrifting. Um, It's physically demanding. Um, You are at the whims of more things than you can imagine, meaning the person who's donating, how the store puts it on the shelf, whether you got there at the right time, whether the price was right, what the condition was. So, um, so, um, so yeah, so, so wholesale, the margins can be smaller. Um, not always. I have a couple product lines where my, my ROI after Amazon fees is like 125%. That's after the fees. I love those. Because then I have others that are 25% after the fees. Um, and if those are small and easy, kind of my thing um, to deal in, that's okay too, but you just have to be aware of it. So, so the old model of um, back in when P- Amazon FBA was first taking off, um, people said you cannot sell on Amazon unless you can price for three times higher than your cost. So in the end, basically, it's a third for cost, a third for um, Amazon fees, and a third for you. And that worked when, in a lot of cases when there weren't a gazillion Amazon sellers and there wasn't the pricing pressure and all that. But it's going to be rare that you're going to find products that you can do that. Um, okay, hang on, guys. You guys are totally distracting me with the Monty Python stuff in the in the chat room because Ron and I both are Monty Python fans. Um, I am actually more of a Michael Palin fan for his travel documentaries, the Monty Python, but Ron got to do a meet and greet with him in London a couple of years ago when they did the, I don't, can't remember what the name of the show was, what was where they all got together and it's like, we're not dead yet or something because one of them has passed away and all that. So anyway, um, I, yeah, David and Alp and Buffy and yeah. Um, so anyway, back to the the, um, the margins on wholesale. So I don't want you to think that you can only buy and sell stuff where you can triple your money um, because that is not the case with, with wholesale. Um, your trade-off for that lower, in most cases, lower margins is ease of ordering, ease of process, ease of reordering, consistent availability of products. So that's the trade-off. So instead of going to 12 Walmarts trying to find whatever it is, health and beauty or game or whatever, you then, um, you then have the, the luxury of reordering that health and beauty item or that game or toy from your wholesaler without leaving your house. Um, so right off the bat, you are spending a lot less time and if you value your time at 20 or 30 or $40 an hour or whatever it is, um, that is huge because you can reorder in a few minutes as opposed to hours of driving around. You don't have the wear and tear on your vehicle. You don't have the gas. You don't have maybe the lunch out. Um, you don't have the annoyance of standing in line. You don't have to deal with getting your doing the sales tax um, exemption in retail arbitrage and all that. So think of that savings as part of the reason 
the margins in wholesale can be less than the people who are beating the street every day for retail arbitrage um, um, kind of thing. So, so I want you, Deborah thinks she had a, she has a hard time getting her hand around not following the three times rules. Um, I, my feeling on this is if the, the things are um, easy to process, you know, they aren't like, you know, you have to bubble wrap 10 things and, and all this. Easy to me is where I can do it sitting in my chair. That's, that's kind of my rule. Easy to process means I don't have to get up from the chair. I can swivel to the impulse sealer, throw it in the box, swivel the impulse, throw it in the box. That's kind of easy. Um, so it's, um, it's kind of like you can, you can take less, and I will look, I never want to do less than two times my cost on wholesale. I, I don't um, because there can be pricing pressures that will lower it even more. Um, that you're going to end up too close to the bone. So that means if I pay $10 for an item, I want to sell it for at least $20. My idea would be like $24.99, something like that. That gives me room if some bozo comes in and starts lowering prices. If I feel the need to get, I want to get rid of that product, I could at $20 maybe and then be okay. Um, I'm not one to advocate buying wholesale where your, your, your discount off of retail is only 30%, you know, that's cutting it too close for me. So, um, so it's, um, it's an interesting game to play in that um, you have to balance um, numbers of time and expense and all of that versus um, the, taking the lower margin. Um, I can't see who said it. Oh, uh, it was Deborah who said you can scale, um, but you have to sell a bunch more to make the same dollars. Well, maybe not a bunch more, but you will have to sell more, but you've done it in less time. So if you take your, quote, hourly wage and extrapolate that into each of the items that you're selling, I'm guessing I would pretty much say it's 100% that you're going to have less time invested in reordering those wholesale products than you were, would have driving all over looking for them in a retail store, if that makes sense. Um, so Buffy has a question. When you had a brick-and-mortar store, I heard you all say Keystone was pricing, but not with Amazon. But as brick-and-mortar, you had, and I got cut off there. So we'll see. Um, See what we do. Um, baby, yeah, some idiots seem fine taking half of what they paid. Yeah, uh, that's a, a quick way to go out of business, isn't it? I am, um, I am shocked that I see that kind of stuff that happens. And I can give you a perfect example. Ron was reordering this morning um, before he went to the day job. Um, and he says, I'm going to have to stop selling this particular um, jewelry making uh, product. It's a rock kind of a rock tool. And I said, why? And he says, well, I started out, I was making like $4 each on them. And they are like the size of a pencil. And you just put a label and put them in a bag and that's it. So easy to process kind of thing. And um, he says, well, some, a couple people have come in 
and have lowered it to where they're only making 50 cents each on them. And I'm not willing to do it for 50 cents. And on, on that, I agree with him. Um, there's some things I think that selling for a small amount works if you sell a lot and they're easy. And we talked about that in the group. But so he's letting that part, um, those items in that, that line go because um, the numbers aren't working right now. But here's the thing. It doesn't mean that in a month's time or six months' time, those people who are selling at that low of a profit per item are going to be gone and maybe the item is, becomes viable again. Because it's not an item that's ever going to be hot, but it's not going to be an item that's ever going to be dead yet. It's kind of be, going to be like something everybody needs all the time. Kind of like laundry detergent, you know? You always need that. So, um, so it's, um, it's, when you're going through your wholesale uh, products and you're looking at that, don't give up on it totally forever. Just kind of make a note if you need to in Evernote to check on these SKUs in um, in a few months um, and see what happens to it. Um, Angie, I need to get Ron um, using uh, Keep and Camel 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 more. Um, I talked to him about it last night because he was he wanted to find out price trends on something, and I you know tried to explain why well, you're using that, and he goes, "No, I forgot all about it." Um, so I can't even remember what it was we wanted to look at price trends for, um, but yeah, I think um, I think it's it's something that once you've had the wholesale product, it's really hard to um, give it up. But sometimes you have to. I gave up a whole line of knitting needles, and I can tell you exactly what happened. the The company had map pricing in place, and things were okay. We get a bozo in every once in a while that would try to drop it down and then they'd call them out and then it'd be okay for a while. Well, the company um, said about a year ago that we are not going to enforce net pricing anymore. It's fair game for everybody. And you know what happened to the price. They went into where people are losing money on this, these because I know the whole pricing structure from this company and ev- they are losing they are losing money on each sale. Um, so I quit carrying them. I said, I'm not going to fight this. It's not worth it, you know. They weren't a huge part of my business. It hurts to do it, for sure, because it's a really good product. But this is a company who, instead of putting the software in place or the employee in place to monitor their map pricing, just gave up. And it has devalued the, their products so much in the knitting field that people don't even think of them in is that top tier group of knitting needles like like they used to. They're kind of like, eh, they're okay, but nothing great. And it's all because of price, because they are really, really good needles. But it's because now they're so cheap that people think they can't be that good because they're so cheap. Um, so, so the upshot is don't be afraid to give up on a product if it... Um, it hurts, but sometimes that's the best thing. And then keep a note to check on it, um, check on it later, and see if maybe it's still worth adding back into your mix. Um, I have found that using Inventory Lab, um, which I did kicking and screaming a year ago, because um, I did it when I was in Tucson, I signed up for it. Um, it um, it has made me much more aware of the actual ROI on 
these items that I'm just reordering, reordering, reordering because it's really easy to see. And it also has helped me not leave money on the table when my price was at a certain point um, because that's where everybody else was. But then all of a sudden those sellers are gone and the price has gone up and I've missed it that it went up because I don't use a repricer. Um, so when I've replenished this item, it's made it easy for me to see if I should up my price too. So um, so as uh, Buffy says, there's so many tools, you, sometimes you forget to use them. Yeah, I, there are there are a lot. Um, and I, I think I'd like to start a thread in the group about our favorite tools, why we like them, um, and uh, what everybody uses, because I think that could be really helpful to um, to see. I, I don't use a whole lot. I use Inventory Lab. I use List Label Ship to print my UPS labels on my uh, Zebra printer. Um, oh, I'm trying to think of... I have Profit Bandit, but I haven't used it in ages. Um, I'm trying to think of what else I use. Evernote. I use Vendio for my eBay store. Um, but I don't use a whole lot. I use Camel, Camel, Camel once in a while, but um, um, I'm not as good as everybody. And I am a beginner at Jungle Scout, and I need to learn more. So we will we will start a um, um, a thread and talk about um, talk about what what we're using. So I'm going to scroll through chat here so I don't miss anything. Um, Okay, we have somebody who says, do you find when looking for products that the majority require a new listing versus finding it already in the, I think it means Amazon catalog? And CLLC, I'm sorry, I don't know who you are. I haven't learned everybody's um, handle on TalkShoe yet, but if you want to put in chat who you are, then I can address that directly. Um, I would say, for me, in my stuff, it's 50-50. I would prefer it to be 100% where I make all the new listings, um, but a lot of them are already there, and a lot of them are terrible. Um, I have a new competitor in the knitting field. Um, right now I see they're only buying from one of my suppliers, but the supplier got a, a couple of new items in in the past week, and they were waiting for me when I got home, and so I looked to list. And, and this supplier doesn't, use UP, doesn't have UPCs, so you have to use your own. Um, and this, this new person... Um, who right now has nine feedbacks, um, made these listings for these new products, and they were awful, just awful. They used their brand name as the manufacturer. You know that whole story like they do. You know, the whole thing. You know, one bullet point that just meant nothing, nothing in the description and all that. So so I had to... Um, I had to go back and fix it. So, okay, that's Ryan and Sandra. Okay. Um, it, um, so, yeah, um, it has gotten somewhat easier to fix listings um, on Amazon than it was, but still it's a hassle. And to me, it just slows down the process because do I fix it before I list it or do I list it and then fix it? Do I list it and then fix it immediately or do I list it and fix it later? Um, I've tried all of those things. They all mess up my flow for sure, but I found the least disruptive um, to my workflow was um, list it, write a note in Evernote with the ASIN or just copy and paste the ASIN in Evernote um, saying fix these 
and then go back and fix them later, like when I'm watching TV or something, because then it doesn't interrupt the unpacking, labeling, repacking flow. Because I found if I stop to fix it then, then I just like lost the whole flow and rhythm. So um, David, no, it doesn't say Prime Day Special, but it has their their store name. Wooly Baba is their store name. I'll never forget that one. Um, kind of like the other mystical portal was another one that was so difficult um, that they would mess up listings um, um, for stuff. Um, yeah, Al says, I had a wonderful experience with one item. All the sellers had the same price. They must all be on this form. Yeah, because <laughs> um, we understand, you know. Um, it's not price. is not everything. Um, so, um so yeah, the Prime Day special, that's a good one. Uh, so keep an eye out for those bad listings and make notes of the ASIN and go back and fix them. I have been really diligent this since I got home on Friday night to work on fixing listings and not just letting them go because I have to admit sometimes I got tired, I got frustrated, I got pissed off at the person who screwed up listings, and I would just say, oh, that's okay. It's not that bad. Well, I've, I've made a, a, a new resolution that if I don't think it's great, I'm going to fix it. Um, and it's interesting. Most of the time, it's the bullet points that are just horrible, and they say nothing about the, um, the item. And that's what I find um, I end up fixing the most is the bullet points or typos in the title. That one drive me crazy. I had two of those yesterday where it was just a typo, but it made, I don't know, it just looks sloppy and stupid when you have a typo and and it was the word for and they transposed the O and the F. Um, so it was O-F-R instead of F-O-R in two of them. Um, so um have to go in and do that whole fix thing. And I've got another one that I'm try- I've been trying to get fixed for a month, and I finally asked it to be escalated. It's a set of letters. It's uh, individual letter stamps, like for stamping charms and stuff like that. And the picture is of the letter L. The part number has L in it because it's the letter L, but the title says K. And I cannot get anybody to understand why this is a problem and why I won't list on that listing until it's fixed. And they keep saying, go ahead, send it in and fix it. We'll fix it later. It's like, no, I'm sorry. Or they'll say, um, we won't fix it because you don't have an active listing. And I'm saying, I'm not going to list until it's fixed. I'm just like, it's like, oh. So I'm, that's one I'm working on, working on, working on. So back to the wholesale stuff. So, So I don't want everybody to go out and think they have to, like, be able to triple their money on wholesale. Most times it's not going to happen, though in some cases it will. Um, my Israel um, product, the knitting product, um, I definitely do. So I am at like 98% ROI after Amazon fees. So um, I'm almost doubling after fees, which is great. Product I import from India is the same way. I am, I am over 100% after fees. So those are my two rare exceptions. I don't think any of my other products are up up at that point. Um, as I said, they range from after fees from 20 to 80, so with those two exceptions. 
Um, so the next thing is how, and this is the biggest question I get in private messages and in private coaching and um, in um, other groups, is how do you know what to buy? And gosh, you know, that is like the million-dollar question, isn't it? Because if I could tell you these steps is how you know what to buy, yeah, I, I could sell that to any company, Walmart for billions, and be done. But it's an art and it's a science. Um, I think it's as much art as it is science. Um, the numbers have to be there, which is the science part. You know, you can't buy something for 10 when it only will sell for 9. Um, you have to kind of get that... Um, part done and and understand that you have to be able to make a profit. But then if you have like six product ideas, how do you know which one to pick? And that's where the, the art comes in. Um, that That's where I believe in listening to your gut feeling. I believe in listening to your kids if it's a product that they would have an interest in or what their friends say. I would listen to what's trending on TV shows, um, and not just like morning shows or talk shows, but what is, what is showing up like in the, the um, set decor of products? Um, that kind of thing. Yeah, David, thanks. I'm going to start a business, so what should I sell? Yeah. Um, believe it or not, I get about one of those a day. Not from this group. None from this group but from people who have found me other places. And they'll say, I want to buy from China and sell it. What should I buy? I was like, well, you know, um, we've got to start somewhere else than thinking you want to buy from China. I think that's kind of a, um, a um, that's putting the cart before the horse, saying where you want to buy the product um, as opposed to what kind of product you're going to buy. And does it come from China or does it come from, in my case, India or Israel or anything like that, you know. Um, so as you're looking through product ideas and product lists and all of that, you have to be, put yourself not only in the shoes of the customer because people who say that forget that it's kind of our job to lead customers too. We have to be not just reacting to what they are um, saying or doing, but anticipating what they want to do. Um, like now, I don't think you could give away a pair of skis in this town. And by garage sale time, you will see them everywhere for a dollar a pair. You know, um, ski boots, maybe two or three dollars a pair because it's done, it's over. Um, but if it was September here and moving into October, then you, you couldn't, you, it's difficult to find them. So it's knowing, anticipating what your buyers are going to need. And that's why, why companies um, do their major sales is because they've either ordered too much or they're moving out for the next season stuff. Um, we have a bunch of companies here in town. They're not retailers. They're um, service providers. But the same idea. In the winter, they run snowmobile tours. So they go to Yellowstone or up in the Togedy or Granite Hot Springs, and they do snowmobile tours. In the summer, they do whitewater rafting stuff on the Snake River. So they have found a way to leverage um, the interests of the town based on the season. 
which I think is clever to keep your employees employed probably eight months of the year as opposed to 12, but then people take off for those those shoulder season months or do their own thing. So, um, so it's our job to do that too. Like uh, sending in Easter stuff today is probably not going to work. Um, it should have been there and purchased and in people's hands by now. Um, they'll go to their local store to buy that. But we have to be there ready ahead of time for the next holiday. Um, we should be looking for for Mother's Day, or not looking, but we should be have our Mother's Day stuff in now. And Deborah, I think you'll probably agree, you guys are working on, you know, past that now. You're probably on uh, 4th of July and picnicking and summer stuff because it's anticipating what those buyers are going to need at the time. Um, because you can't wait to get your stuff too late. The early board gets the worm a lot of times because people don't want to be stressed waiting for it. Um, a lot of people at ASB learned, and I can't remember who it was who says I wouldn't have known that if somebody hadn't said it, was that people are ordering out for Christmas um, because they need that stuff in by August. Um, and they need it to order it now so it can be manufactured because the manufacturers will only make enough to fulfill those orders plus a little extra, but they're not going to do a, a run, huge overrun over what their orders are. So they took orders for Christmas stuff, and they're going to manufacture it. It's probably going to ship in August, and it'll be ready to go. Um, it's, the retail side is different in what you're buying. You know? You're not buying swimsuits now if you're in selling clothing. You buy your swimsuits right before Christmas, so they're in the stores now, ready for people to go on, first of all, spring break and then summer vacation. Um, so now you should have a lot of your Christmas, if you're a buyer, your Christmas stuff either done or you're heavily researching it. Um, looking to buy wholesale Christmas stuff in August and September becomes um, really, really difficult um, because people are out of stock. It won't get there in time. Um, with Amazon shipping delays, you know, moving stuff between warehouses, you're pushed up against the wall for Christmas things. So, um, so that's why people are doing it now. Um, Deborah makes an interesting point. My business is not needing to think about the holidays. That's why I had to think about what the next holiday was, um, except for inventory, extra inventory for Q4 in January. That's that's right. That's my business model. It's not that it's the right way or the wrong way or the only way, but that's what mine is. Um, other people are um, focused on holiday stuff. And that's fine, too, because there can be a killing to be made in holidays. Um, but it, is a more, it obviously is a very time-conscious thing. If my knitting needles don't get here by December 24th um, or get so they can be shipped in time at Amazon, it's not the crisis it is if you're... Christmas lights didn't get there in time to be shipped out and put on a house. Um, so that's another thing to think about. Um, I think a good mix would be both, but I just haven't yet. Um, that's part laziness, part lack of time, part lack of interest. It, it's not my major interest where some people love holidays and more power to you, you know. Um, yeah, and as Deborah says, the time the time sensitive part can be really stressful. I know um, 
in her group, her um, bundle group, there was some people feeling pressured because some Easter stuff hadn't moved yet and they were talking about advertising and all that. So, um, so yeah, and I think it's a good mix to have both, you know, um, especially if the mix of the holiday stuff is stuff that could be resold the next year. If it didn't sell, it wasn't food or something that would expire. Um, decor and stuff that is kind of timeless. If you don't sell it, you can always uh, have it recalled and send it in next year. But it, it is a stressful thing. Um, so Alp says she makes a third of her income during the hollow rate, operates at a loss until then. So our goal, Alp, would be to make sure you don't operate a, at a loss until the holiday, that you at least carry yourself through, and then the holiday becomes even more gravy. And that's kind of a, a good goal um, to have, and it's good you can see it so clearly as to to why. And let's we'll work on getting that um, built up for you. So um, I don't want to leave everybody with the feeling that wholesale is the be-all and end-all, though that's what I believe, <laughs> um, that I do think it is the future of Amazon. I I think there is room for some online arbitrage and retail arbitrage, definitely. Um, I think there is some room for private label, though I, I think in this coming year, we're going to see a peak and then a fall off in the whole private, um, private label thing. Um, I do belong to a couple private label groups just so I know what's going on. And there is a lot of... Um, well, there's several issues. One is the big one. Well, somebody hijacked my listing, meaning they bought the same stuff from Alibaba in China and are selling on the listing that this person made. Um, so it's not, it's not as easy to keep them off as people were led to believe by private labeling. I think the insurance issue with private label is going to be a huge one, um, that um, a lot of these people are not insured, and something's going to happen somewhere where they're going to really wish they were. Um, I think the whole review issue with all the purchased reviews on Amazon um, is going to really affect them. I was reading a post the other day about somebody who lost 70 out of 90 of their reviews were removed um, by Amazon. Um, and these were reviews where they'd given the person free product and paid for the review, kind of that kind of deal. Um, and um, they were just bemoaning that their sales had fallen off tremendously and all of that. But, um, but I think those issues um, are going to be big ones in the coming year with the private label people. Um, just like a couple of years ago, I said the retail arbitrage people are going to be um, really have to be careful because of the um, um, counterfeit issue proving that it's a real issue, and that was uh, borne out by the whole frozen counterfeits where Walmart was, I believe it was Walmart, Deborah or somebody else, correct me if I'm wrong, they were selling some frozen counterfeits, or frozen, frozen counterfeit, counterfeit frozen stuff, and people had bought it, retail arbitrage, and then were selling on Amazon, and they were passing on the um, uh, the counterfeit stuff to Amazon buyers, and they got whole got caught up in that. Um, yeah, and David, you're right. They're getting tons of bad press over the fake reviews. And a couple weeks ago, I talked about how I was looking to buy a travel scale. And you could tell they were all private label and they all had all the fake reviews because no product, however good it is, 
can last for a long time with all five-star reviews. It's just, it is just impossible for that to happen by, it's human nature. You know, we've all gotten the feedback that says, everything was great, four stars. Perfect, four stars. You know, that kind of thing. So human nature is such that a product with organic reviews is not going to stay at five stars forever, you know. Um, so that's what kind of is a giveaway to a lot of people now that um, these five-star reviews, you can't believe them. And, you know, there's only so many of the same product that can be sold in any one marketplace. That's Ron's analogy of McDonald's in the mall. Do you all remember that one? If there's one McDonald's in the mall that sells 500 hamburgers a day, opening up a dozen, another McDonald's doesn't mean you'll sell 1,000 hamburgers a day at the mall because maybe the 500 was the max number that are going to sell at that mall no matter what the capacity is to make more hamburgers. So, um, so you know, all of these, the private label stuff that we're seeing um, is, um, I think the fallout is going to be hard and a lot of people are going to be um, hurt money-wise. And that's sad, but, you know, so anything advertises get rich quick um, uh, is probably not going to work. You know, I, that's one thing I never tell you guys is you're going to get rich quick doing this wholesale stuff for sure, you know. No, you will slow and steady build a business that has a value as a business because, number one, you have built relationships with wholesalers and you are in it for the long run. You are not just scan and slash at retail stores, um, which, to be honest, um, is not a business model that you could ever sell. You are not, um, you are not going to be able to sell uh, your LLC if that is your business model. I don't think, personally, because there's no relationship with anything. Um, whereas if, um, uh, say, Angie has an exclusive with a food manufacturer in Texas and it's a popular food that people who've moved away from Texas want to have, and she has that and can show sales for that product and show that she has the agreement with this manufacturer, she has a business that may be worth buying um, because they want that access to that exclusive with the manufacturer. Um, so I, um, I look at this as a long-term play. Um, I don't know how long, but I think, um, I think by building the relationships with wholesalers, um, that is our key to be able to grow this slow and steady. You're not going to go from zero to a million overnight. You're going to go slow and steady, and you are going to be able to have a business to either be passed on to family, to kids, or to be sold because um, there's a lot of information going around about you can't sell an Amazon account. And no, you can't. That's, it just specifically said you can't. But my belief is, that if you are selling your entire business, your my Anderson Group LLC, I'm selling everything, lock, stock, and barrel, websites, names, product sources, inventory, all of that kind of stuff, my Amazon account goes on along with it because they bought that entity that owns the Amazon account. Um, that's kind of my feeling on it. So hope I would like to, my long-term play was be able to sell the business at one point when I'm tired of it and, you know, move on. Um, it's, it's an interesting thing as to where we go from here because we're still all working on building a business, but there has to be some sort of exit strategy. 
too. And that may be that I just close it down. If that's your exit strategy and you've thought about it and that's what you want to do, nothing wrong with that. If you want to leave it to family, nothing wrong with that. If you want to try to sell it, nothing wrong with that. Um, I have seen uh, posts on business for sale websites where they are they specifically say you are buying this LLC, which includes this Amazon account with these wholesale accounts with it, you know that kind of thing. So they um, so they are they are clear that that the, it's the entire business, but the Amazon account is the major asset um, with the business, and especially if um, you guys are obsessed with feedback like I am. You know, a 100% feedback account with 5,000 Amazon feedback is pretty valuable in the whole scheme of things because, um, um, because you get an advantage in the buy box with better feedback. Um, you actually probably have a better chance of getting product pages with better feedback, product pages fixed. So... Um, there's a um, there are rules against adopting the history of of the reputation feedback. Well, what? But see, here's the thing, Lou. Is I'm thinking if you buy the whole account, you buy or the whole business, the account is one asset of the business. And I think somewhere along the line, we're going to see um, a lawyer come in to this with somebody who's selling it and um, and see exactly what the courts say about doing it. My guess, just my guess, is the courts are going to side with being able to sell the entire business. You're not selling off just the account, which is definitely against terms of service. So I couldn't keep my business but say, you're buying the Amazon account. You know, that's, that I think Amazon would have problems with, and if they caught on to it, they would probably shut you down in a heartbeat. Um, so products, here's another thing I ran across this week. Um, um, is a buyer in the UK, well, more than one, and I posted this in the group. I hope you all read it. A buyer whose return rate of products was over 10% was summarily shut down by Amazon. Um, interesting point is he made 300 purchases on Amazon and returned like 37 things. So that's more than 10%. Um, Amazon wants you to keep your return rate as a seller like under 3%. They would like it under 1%, but, you know, there there's thresholds depending on the category and all that. So this guy was over three times um, that rate. And they shut him down, and he lost what was on his, I believe, on a gift card, and he lost the rest of his Prime membership and all this. Um, he was a computer software engineer, computer programmer, something in electronics. And I can imagine he bought stuff and either used it and then returned it or tried it out and didn't like it, you know, the whole thing. And he just got caught. Um, it's, um, it was an interesting thing. So Amazon is watching for that pattern that, um, that buyers who abuse the return system um, will get caught out somewhere. There was... There were several that they mentioned in this article, um, so look for it in the group. It does give us some hope that that the bad buyers will be um, uh, taken care of, but what's to say you don't just open up another account with another credit card with a mailbox at a different UPS store or PO box or whatever? Um, 
I don't know if they're going to go as far as matching IP addresses like they do with sellers who try to do that. Maybe they do. I mean, that would be great. Um, I would love that. I think, um, Buffy, that they are probably looking at U.S. buyers. It just hasn't hit here. Um, maybe they're testing out their algorithms in the U.K. market because it's smaller. Um, I have a couple buyers that have bought and returned, like bought three things for me and returned three things for me or returned to me. And I know there is nothing wrong with these products. They just used them for a project and then wanted to get their money back. So, um, so I hope it, it carries down. Um, it's interesting that they did to this buyer kind of what they do to, the, to us. There's no warning. There's no nothing. It's just it's done. Switches flipped and you're out of luck. Um, interesting that they didn't refund his prime and didn't uh, credit back his gift card or whatever he had. I think um, I think they they will at least have to give his credit for his gift card back. I can't imagine legally they can keep that. I don't know what the prime terms of service are, and maybe there's something in those terms of service that says Tusk, if you abuse the system, you forfeit whatever's left on the um, um, prime membership. So. Um, I'm going to get off topic a little bit here because this one just drives me crazy. And I saw it on, I get the People Morning News, you know, People Magazine, because I do, I do like a bit of gossip in my life. And I don't know if you guys have known or go to enough concerts or go that, to see this trend that has been happening the past couple years for meet and greets with the artists. So you go to, as Ron did, the Monty Python event in London, and you have a meet and greet with the artist or artists or band or whatever it is. Um, and it costs a lot to do it. Um, I think for the Monty Python, it was like $500 over the price of a ticket. Um, so it's, it's pricey, and it's good money for the, um, the artists too. You know, um, I've done it a couple times. We did it with Eddie Izzard the British comedian who ran 27 marathons in 27 days to honor and respect the 27 years Nelson Mandela spent in prison. And this guy's my age, late 50s, and 27 marathons in 27 days. Uh, insanity. But he did it and raised a lot of money for a charity in the UK called Sport Relief. Um, but So we did that with him fabulous thing. He sat on the floor with the like 50 people who were there and just answered questions and talked. Awesome. I've done it with like, um, we went to see So You Think You Can Dance and the dancers were there and they were just so charming and cute and personable. That was really nice. So anyway, come through the people, the people feed this morning that Justin Bieber is canceling all his VIP meet and greet packages because it stresses him out. Okay. His meet and greet and packages for this current tour that are $2,000. Okay. Yeah, 2000 Crazy. Um, and the only way you can get a refund, and mind you, all these concerts are sold out, right? Beaver sells out really fast. So you got your $2,000 meet and greet ticket with good seats and all of that and probably a VIP check-in and, and a little badge and everything. So... Um, so he canceled these because it stresses him out to do it. 
the only way you can get your money back for the meet and greet ticket is if you surrender your entire ticket. Does anybody think that's wrong? So I can't like get the difference between what my seat would cost without the meet and greet and what I paid. No, I have to give up my whole ticket. And I, there's no other tickets to be purchased. Can you believe that? I think that is just the most ridiculous piece of business I have ever heard. So you are going to penalize and disrespect your most loyal fans who forked out $2,000 a ticket for these tickets by making them give up that entire ticket so you can resell it somewhere else for more money because they're good seeds. I think it's just, it's ridiculous. As Buffy said, he's a tool. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I just think, yeah, uh, it, it's... Um, Nicole, it's super disrespectful to a super fan. So the people who care that much about you, you're just going to like give them the middle finger and say tough because it stresses me. And I want to say buck up, boy, and do your job because you committed to doing that when you sold these tickets. And I don't care if it stresses you. Go, go do it. So, um, yeah, scalpers are going to get some amazing seats. Um, yeah, they're going to resell these tickets for a lot of money to people who are probably on a waiting list to pay $1,000 just for the seat. But the, the fans who, pay, who were first into them got forced out. So anyway, that's my little rant for the day because that just annoys me no end. Um, I have to say another thing since David brought it up about skip it, ticket scalpers. Um, the tickets I had for the Zac Brown band that was here on Saturday, they had a big outdoor concert. Um, they gave away like 2,000 general admission tickets. It was standing. There's no seats or anything. It was in the parking lot of the ski resort. Um, they gave away these tickets to people who had a Teton County driver's license, and then they sold like 2,000 more tickets. And then they had an untold number, and I don't know how many, of these gold, silver, and bronze VIP tickets. And these meant you had like a separate entrance. It was covered. It was raised. Like the gold ones were right in the wings of the stage. So it was um, apparently fabulous um, uh, seats. So I had purchased two um, silver tickets because there was no gold available. And I paid $250 each for tickets. And then, like the next day, they released the gold tickets. And I'm like, ah, oh, crud, you know? So I bought the two gold tickets. And I thought, okay, I'll sell the silver tickets since that's fine. So I put them on StubHub. Um, which was pretty easy to do. I'd never sold tickets before. And they give you a PDF of the ticket so you can transfer it. And I asked for $500 each for the $250 tickets. And they sold overnight. This was about two, months, two or three months ago. And I thought, okay, good. So now I got my money back on that, made a little bit of money, and I could go to the concert. And then I got to thinking, well, if I could get that much for those, why can't I get like $1,000 each for the gold tickets that I paid $500 for? So I put them up on StubHub, and they sold for $1,000 each, and I paid 500 for them. Um, so I was like, God, dang, you know, this ticket scalping is pretty good. But then I thought about it, and, man, um, it was stressful thinking if they're going to sell, you know, especially that first one where I was stuck with four, two extra tickets. Um, and then so I, the concert was Saturday. I got home Friday afternoon at the airport, 
I have never seen so many private planes at Jackson Airport in my life. There's always three or four or five. There must have been 20 private jets sitting there at the the private end of the airport. Um, and I thought, could they all be here for the concert? You know, maybe some of them are the band and all that. Ron picked me up and said, did you see all the private jets there? And he goes, yeah. One of those must be for the people who paid $1,000 each for your tickets. And I thought, oh, yeah, probably is. And then there was that, like, you know, you send the PDF to StubHub and they transfer it to the new person. And then there's that hold your breath that something didn't go wrong with that whole ticket transfer because they have your credit card on file and they could charge back what they you got for the ticket. So by Sunday afternoon, I was kind of like, okay, concert was Saturday night. If they couldn't get in, there was a problem. I'd have heard by now, you know. Um, so anyway. That's the little uh, ticket scalping story. Not something I'm going to go into. It's too stressful because it's so time sensitive. You know, you don't want to be stuck with them. And I have to say, we're putting the money towards our trip to Bora Bora next February. And a little bit of me was like, sorry to miss the concert because they said the band did a fabulous job. But then again, I thought, man, that's a lot of money, you know, to give up. Um, So in the end, I'm kind of happy I did it. So anyway. Um, if we don't have any more questions in chat, I'm going to scroll down and we're going to do we're going to give away some stuff. So I'm going to walk over to my table here and grab the stuff we're giving away today. I have five things, so that's pretty good odds. Um, first question I need to ask, and I need you to put in the chat room just um, the word me, um, and it doesn't matter how fast you are because I'm just going to take everybody who says yes to this question um, and do a random number thing to pick who wins it. So who wears a size medium T-shirt? That's what I want you to say me to. If you wear a size medium. Okay, I'm going to wait a minute. This is to wear a size uh, medium T-shirt. Alp, you're, like, you're on the Eddie Izzer thing. Oh, my gosh. Um, we don't have very many mediums, do we? So from what I'm reading, it's kind of messed up. We have Lou who wears a medium. Sherry wears a medium. Is that it? Tell me if I... Oh, is Denise, you wear a medium? Um, tell me, are those the three mediums? Okay. Okay, Buffy, then you can be in too, because so there's four. Okay, let me give me just a sec, because what you're going to win is a medium size medium T-shirt from Evernote, and they're really cute. They're they're like really soft. Um, they're not the typical Hanes T-shirt. These are really nice T-shirts. I mean, really really nice T-shirts um, with their elephant logo on them and the word Evernote under them. Um, in their font. And I like the quality of the shirt a lot. So I have a um, pajamas for Buffy. Yeah, now all of a sudden she's a medium. Good one, Buffy. Um, I think these would fit you. So let me do the number thingy and um, see what I come up with. Hang tight. Can somebody hum the Jeopardy music? Um, Okay, we have Sherry, 
Fisher, and I'm writing this down so I don't forget who won, gets a T-shirt. And since she was the first number I pulled, do you want the um, Evernote green or the Evernote dark, dark, heathered gray shirt? Tell me, Sherry. Um, it's, I, I wouldn't call it black because it's heathered, but it's a very dark gray. So tell me which one of those two you want. And I know there's a little lag, so we will um, give Sherry a chance. And then obviously the person um, who I now pick will get the other color since I have the Evernote green and the dark, dark gray. So let me scroll through chat here. So Sherry wants the green, okay. Sherry, I need you to PM me your mailing address so I can put this in the mail to you since I can't email it. And the next winner is Little Miss Size, Small, Medium, Buffy. So you get the gray one. Okay. So that's the first giveaway. So we have Buffy with the gray and Cherry with the green. And Buffy, I know I have your address, so I will send that off to you today. And we have to thank um, Charlotte Boyd at Evernote who sent me, um, sent me the swag to give away to my group. Um, it came while I was gone, so it was a really nice surprise. So the next thing I have, I have two of the next one, and this, these are for anybody in the group that I will just randomly draw because um, if you're not using it, you should. The first two are a three-month premium Evernote membership. Three months premium. Pretty good, huh? Um, her name, Buffy, her name is Charlotte Boyd, B-O-Y-D. Um, three months free of Evernote premium. So good chance, if you don't use it, a good chance to use it and try out all the premium things for three months. And then the, um, the, if you already use Evernote premium, it just adds on to what you have. Um, so when you get the, the code from me, um, you just go into um, Evernote and activate it. And it will add it to your existing account, which is pretty darn cool. So I have two of those to give away. Bear with me for a minute, and I'm going to do my little number thingy and count people in the chat room. And let's hope if you don't use Evernote, you will. It's hard to talk and count at the same time. Okay, the first one is to Mary Jo Purdue. Mary Jo, do you use Evernote? Let me know. I'm writing your name on the card so I know which which card to send to you. Um, okay, so you use it, but not the premium. Perfect. Um, you now have three months of premium to try, so where to go? Alp, um, we are giving away stuff. That's what, I don't know. You're, you must have a huge, huge lag on your um, um, chat. So... Um, Mary Jo, I will email you the code with the instructions on how to um, how to do it. Yeah, um, 
uh, Nicole, thanks for um, putting that in there so Alf can refresh to um, to see if she can get caught up. So I have the second Evernote premium to give away. And this is also three months of Evernote premium. And that one goes to, oh, cool, a new member, Spirit Tracker. Um, Spirit Tracker, do you use Evernote? Because if you don't, I'm going to make sure you do. Um, and this is a great way to try out all the, the things with it. Um, if you could let me know in chat um, that you've heard this and that, um, yeah, uh, yeah, Spirit Tracker just joined over the weekend. So excellent. So now you've got three months of premium to try. I will send you the code via Facebook message so you can sign up and use it. So the next one I have to give away is six months of Evernote Premium. Six months, pretty good, huh? Um, so this is pretty cool. Um, let me see, I've got another number to pull out of the hat here, the, the random number generator thingy, doohickey, thingamabob, gadget. No, it's an app on my phone that I use. And the winner of that is Nicole. Nicole, you, I know you use Evernote. I know you do. Way to go, Nicole. So let me write your name on here. What, six months? Um, way to go. Oh, I'm so happy. And you don't use premium yet either. Oh, this is perfect. I know you've used it, so way to go, guys. Um, awesome. I'm so happy. I will PM you your code also, and you can get started with the premium stuff. Um, with it, I will include Charlotte's email address. So you might want to just drop her a thank you note for the, the swag you got today because I told her I was going to be giving it out to my group today because um, maybe that means she can send us more swag. You know, you never know. So, um, so there you go. So we have Sherry with a green T-shirt, Buffy with a gray T-shirt, Mary Jo with a three-month Evernote Premium, Spirit Tracker with a three-month Evernote Premium, and Nicole with six-month Evernote Premium. There you go. What a winners. Okay, guys, I'm going to have to sign off now. I hope the talk about the um, selecting products and how you know what works kind of thing helped a little. It's going to be the topic we talk about most in the coming year, I know, because it is the most difficult. Um, Pretty much everybody in their group has their head wrapped around the numbers and the process and all that. It's the product selection. So, um, yes, Mary Jo, there's going to be a Thrifting for Profit podcast. That's why I have to get off and get my voice back so I can talk. Um, starting in about 50 minutes. Um, I want to say same bat time, same bat channel. But, um, but it's also on TalkShoe um, with the Thrifting for Profit number. And... Um, Deborah is going to talk about, um, I don't want to say coaching Deborah, but sort of about when do you know you need help? When do you know do you need guidance? When do you know you need um, someone, a mentor, an accountability partner, um, um, all that kind of stuff? Um, and as I told her, I said, Olympic athletes have coaches. So, you know, everybody needs a coach of um, some sort. Um, so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, David is stuck in a Montreal hotel room waiting for students to get out on Easter break. Oh, my gosh. 
Um, I hope I hope you can get some work done, get some rest, all of that kind of stuff. Because, um, yeah, stressful, I know. Um, I told Beth the other day that I don't know how she does all the traveling and keeps up on everything. It's just, it's really, really difficult, I've found. And I'm going to be home for like six weeks. Yay! And then I have another trade show. Two trade shows. I have one in Salt Lake City and then one in Washington, D.C. And interestingly enough, the one in Washington used to have really good educational classes on knitting and stuff um, for shop owners to teach new techniques. Um, And their classes are terrible. Their choices are really bad. So my friend and I were going a day early just to, like, go to the Smithsonian and do a few tourist things. And then, like, the education day, which is the next day, there's no classes we want to take. And we thought, well, it's not so bad. There's tons to do in Washington. It's not like we're going to be stuck where there's nothing to do. So, um, so yeah, so six weeks and then two trade shows and we'll have more to talk about. So we'll see you guys on Thrifting for Profit in about 50 minutes. And thanks for joining us. And I will get all the prizes out to the winners today. So thanks and do some great wholesale sourcing. I'm so proud of you guys and so glad you're in the group. Thanks. Bye-bye. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.